Good morning, church. Uh, we started a, a series a few weeks ago called Perspective. And I just want to review with you where we've been so far. We've had three messages so far. The very first one was this. It was good. It was good, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your decrees. In other words, it was good that I went through what I went through. Because God used that to turn my heart to Him. And then the next message was seeing the unseen. 2 Kings chapter 6, where the prophet said, Lord, open his eyes. Not physically, but spiritually. Help him to see that there are more with us than there are with them. And that God helps us along the way in ways we don't even recognize sometimes. And then last week we talked about widen the circle. Widen the circle has the idea that there are some, in our, some people in our lives that are easy to love and some that are hard to love. But God calls us to widen the circle and love everyone. And it is the demonstration of love that really changes lives. Now today I want to talk to you about a crisis of faith. If you have ever been mad at God, or if it maybe sometimes feels like God's mad at you, you've picked a good Sunday to be here or to tune in. Have you ever wondered why good things happen to bad people? I said that correctly. Let me say it again. Have you ever wondered why good things happen to bad people? Why is it that those who don't know God prosper financially? Why is it that those who don't know God seem to prosper physically? Why is it that those who do know God sometimes seem to go through trials and struggles? It might surprise you to find out that some very godly men in the Bible struggled with those very questions. I'm serious. There are some people in the Bible that are just heroes of the faith who struggle with some of those very questions. For example, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, now this is the prophet Jeremiah, and here's what he said. You're always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. In other words, I've brought cases before you before. There's things I've, I've come to you and talked about, and you've always been righteous, God, when I come to you with a case or a problem. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. In, in other words, God, there's one thing I'm still needing to talk to you about. I'm not sure that I understand your justice. Now watch what he says. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Isn't that amazing? Do you know that was in the Bible? You ought to read your Bible sometime. There's some pretty good stuff in there. But Jeremiah, the prophet, struggled with this very issue. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the ungodly, the faithless, live at ease? Translation. Why am I having such a hard time? And they're not. Why is it that I look around me and I see people who don't know you and they're struggling? Uh, Or they're not struggling, and I am. And then, not only Jeremiah, but Job. Uh, We're not going to put this on the screen, but look with me, Job 21. Job chapter 21. Job chapter 21, look at, at verse 7 and through verse 15, just... Remember now, in the very first part of the book of Job, we, we, we are told that Job was a very godly man. We are told that he was more righteous than anyone of his day. And yet, look at the struggle that Job had. Verse 7. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Look at verse 9. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not upon them. 
Verse 10, their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. Verse 11, they send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. Verse 12, they sing to the music of tambourine and harp. They make merry to the sound of the flute. Verse 13, it gets worse. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. This is Job. Verse 14, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? Job says, I look around at the ungodly and and they don't even care anything about God. They're saying, why would I follow God? What would I gain if I follow God? I've got everything I need. I've got everything I want. Life is good. And Job looked at all of that and Job struggled with it. Job was simply saying, it doesn't seem fair that the ungodly have more money and less problems than those who live for God. And so today, with that concept, I want to look at a a diary in the Bible, a prayer journal of a man who nearly lost his faith in God. He nearly lost his faith in God as he wrestled with an age-old problem of why the righteous suffer and the ungodly seem to prosper. So if you have your Bibles, open God's Word with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, when we read this psalm in just a moment, you'll see that it really will be obvious that here is a man who is hurting. Here's a man who is writing in his prayer journal, if you will, and he, his pain is real. Things are happening to him and around him that he does not understand. And thankfully, this man, Asaph, wrote his thoughts down. And I want you to listen to him deal with his inner struggles. And the temptation that he had to get bitter. Notice that how it begins in Psalm 73. Before you even see verse 1, what is, what is the heading in your Bible? What does it say there? Can someone tell me? The Psalm of Asaph. Now, Asaph is identified as the author of the psalm. Sometimes we just read through those subheadings and, and we kind of get to the heart of the Scripture and sometimes we miss a good lesson. Asaph, who was he? Well, we know that he was the author of this psalm. He was also a Levite who served as a musician and a worship leader. Asaph was uh, a man of some prominence and a man that would have been known in the community as a Levite, as, as a musician, as a worship leader. In fact, it's going to take just a moment, but it will really help you to understand this psalm. If we'll go over to the left, put your finger there in Psalm 73 or some kind of a mark and go over to the left and find Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Let me give you the context of what we're about to read. During the days of David and Solomon, especially during the days of Solomon, the temple was finally built. And as the temple was completed, they were bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into the temple for the very first time. Bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies and to set it up there. Of course, the Ark of the Covenant represented presence of God. I want you to notice what happens here. Asaph is one of the people privileged to be in the temple when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. 
He was actually the worship leader that day. And can you think of a, of a better time to be a worship leader? Look at the text with me, beginning chapter, chapter 5, verse 12. Um, all the Levites who were musicians, notice Asaph is listed first, and the others are listed, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and the singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the the Lord and sang, He is good and His love endures forever. Now watch this. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Here was Asaph, appointed as one of the chief leaders in this time of worship, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Now let me tell you a little bit more about Asaph. Not only was was he all of these things, look here on the screen. Look what it says here. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition, to give thanks and to praise the Lord and the God of Israel. And Asaph was the chief. What does that mean? Asaph was a man who was the worship leader. He was a songwriter. He was a musician. He was a prominent leader of his day. Asaph, by the way, authored 12 psalms. Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 through 83. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Everybody look up here for a moment. When all of this took place and the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple and the Spirit of God, the glory of God filled the temple with the cloud, Asaph was there leading worship. And that was the man who later nearly lost his faith. Let that sink in for a moment. You see, anyone can struggle with their faith, even those who serve God faithfully. Anyone. You can be a worship leader and struggle with your faith. You can be a preacher and struggle with your faith. You can, you can serve God faithfully for many, many years and struggle with your faith. Now, let's get to Psalm 73. There's so much good stuff in the psalm. It, it's interesting how this psalm begins. He begins in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The history of Israel was a record of the goodness of God to Israel. And Asaph was certain deep down that this God that he had worshipped, this God that he had served was a good God. And he begins this psalm by declaring the goodness of God. God had indeed been good to Israel. But listen to this church. It was that foundational belief that actually caused trouble for Asaph. The the very fact that God had been good to Israel was really the the thing that led Asaph to begin to question, well, why hasn't God been good to me? You see, God had blessed Israel, but it seemed like God wasn't blessing him. That's why we read verse 2. But as for me, you might want to underline those words, but as for me, God has been good to Israel, yes, verse 1. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. When he looked around at others, Asaph saw the godless prospering while he was struggling. When he saw all of that, he began 
to struggle with his faith. He began to wonder why God had been good to Israel and why his godless neighbors had prospered, but he was struggling so much. Look at what he says in verse 3 about his godless neighbors. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The more he began to look at his neighbors, the more he began to look at the godless, ungodly people around him, he began to actually envy them. The more he began to measure his situation against the ungodly, the more he began to doubt his faith. Now let me say to you, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt comes from a struggling mind. I'm struggling in my mind to understand what's happening around me. That's doubt. Unbelief comes from a stubborn will. Unbelief says, I will not believe, while a doubting person struggles to believe. Asaph knew in his mind that God is good to Israel, yes, but he struggled to understand what he saw with his eyes and felt with his heart. You see, this is going to sound strange to you, but from Asaph's point of view, the ungodly had it made. Let me walk through the scripture with you, beginning in verse 4. Look how he describes in verses 4 and 5 how the ungodly have it made. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. They're healthy. They don't seem to have any problems at all. And he struggled with his faith. Look at verse 6 and following. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They're so proud they wear it like a necklace. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. For their callous hearts become iniquity, uh, comes iniquity, and the evil conceits of their minds know no, no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Look what he says in verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Then he says in verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. Watch this. Always carefree, they increase their wealth. Here's a man who was in the temple when the glory of God filled the temple. And now he's looking around him and he says about the ungodly, this is what the wicked are like. Verse 12, always carefree and they increase their wealth. They don't ever worry about how they're going to pay their bills. They seem to have more than enough. They're in a nice house. They drive a nice car. They, they even have a boat, for goodness sake. That's common. Never mind. Asaph said, this is what the wicked are like. But we really see the depth of his despair in the next two verses. Verse 13 and 14. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain. Have I washed my hands in innocence? All day long I've been plagued. I have been punished every morning. You know what Asaph was saying? Everybody look up here and tell you what he was saying. This has all been a waste of time. His heart was so broken. His faith was so weak. He said, this has all been a waste of time. Worship leader, songwriter, temple musician, prominent leader in his day, and yet... His faith is crumbling. I once talked to a man just like Asaph. In fact, whenever I read this text, I always think of him. That man 
was my brother Larry Shorter. Years ago, um, Larry's wife called either me or Dave and said, Larry's really struggling. He's depressed. He's angry. I think you need to come see him. Now, this is a man that loves the Lord. This is a man, I, I can't remember if he was pastoring back then, but, but he loved the Lord. He was serving the Lord. We went up to see Larry on his 50th birthday. We thought that'd be a good time to go see him. So we went up on his 50th birthday. Larry's previous jobs, it, I, he didn't get fired, but he wasn't doing what he previously had done. And so trying to make a living, he bought a snow cone building, a stand, a snow cone stand. And when we found him that day, he was at the snow cone stand trying to sell sugar water. And as we began to talk to him, he was so angry, so frustrated. I think he was having problems paying his bills. And we said something about God's blessed you. You're 50 years old today. And this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, I'm 50 years old, and what has it gotten me? A snow cone stand. I realized that day that a crisis of faith is very easy to fall into and very hard to get out of. So this is what Asaph said in verse 16. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. When I tried to understand all of this, it was more than I could figure out. Or the message translation says it this way. The message translation says, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good translation. But now the key verse is verse 17. But to understand verse 17, we really need to read it with verse 16 because it really is the same sentence. So go back again, verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Look up here. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. Watch the next verse. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. You know what you call this? You know what you call this? Perspective. On the way to the temple that day, he was envious of all the ungodly people around him. On the way to the temple that day, he was likely angry and frustrated that they have it so good and he has it so bad. On the way to the temple that day, his faith was in crisis mode. And then he got to the temple. And he got around the people of God. And he heard the word of God. And people around him were singing praises to God. And something happened in his heart in that place. And all of a sudden, his perspective changed. I entered the sanctuary of God. Then, I understood. Then, I understood that the ungodly may have riches but none of that will help them beyond the grave. Then I understood that, yeah, they may have more than I do, but they're not going where I'm headed. Then I understood their destiny, and all of a sudden, everything else came into focus. Psalm 49, or 16 through 19. Let me just read it to you. 
Listen to what it says. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. Psalmist said, you know what? You're not going to take it with you. And Asaph said, when I enter the sanctuary of God, I realize that. When I entered the sanctuary of God and I began to worship God, there was something about that worship experience. And he says, all of a sudden my perspective changed. All of a sudden I understood. All of a sudden I understood that I was measuring life by the wrong standards. Now, please understand this. The circumstances didn't change. When he went home that day, they still had everything they had when he went to the temple. It wasn't like suddenly God took it all away from them and gave it to him. Circumstances did not suddenly change. The ungodly people around Asaph still had good homes. They still had plenty of money. They still looked healthy. Their family still looked blessed. But now on the way home from the temple, Asaph saw all of that differently. Now instead of envying them, he likely pitied them. Because now he understood their destiny. He understood, yeah, they may have a nice home. They don't have an eternal home. You see, I believe Asaph realized that the important thing is not what you have in life, but rather where you're going when life is over. That's the important thing. Jesus put it this way when he said, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? What good will it be if a man has everything life has to offer, but then he has nothing when this life is over? You see, it's often in worship. One of the reasons you ought to come to church because it's often in worship where God changes our perspective. When you sing the praises of God and you hear the word of God, God uses that to change your perspective. So let me give you four points of application as we look at this text and, and close the message. Four points of application. Here's the first one. Perspective allows you to see your own heart. All of this is going to come straight from the Scripture. Perspective allows you to see your own heart. Look in verse 21 and 22. Asaph said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Translation, God, I'm sorry. I'm so, I, I was just, God, I'm making accusations about you, and I, 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 just, I just acted bad. God, my heart wasn't right. My attitude wasn't right. See, perspective allows you not only to see the world differently around you. Listen to this. Perspective allows you to see your own heart, how you've been viewing things wrong. Here's the second one. You may struggle with your faith, but God will never let you go. You may have times where you struggle with your faith, and you're trying to decide. It's a crisis of faith, and you're trying to decide if you still believe this stuff. But if you really know the Lord, I want to tell you something. He's never going to let go of you. And it's right here in Scripture. Let me show it to you in verse 23. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Get your pen ready. Underline, you hold me. Reminded me that when I've been in Charleston to go see the world's greatest grandbaby, 
uh, when, when we're walking down the sidewalk and we're going to go across the street, we always say, here, hold my hand, hold my hand. Now, I want to tell you something. Her little hand is in mine, but she's not holding on to me. I'm holding on to her. And I'm not going to let go. I'm holding on to her. Asaph said, you know, Lord, I recognize that when I was in this crisis of faith and I wasn't sure I even believed you anymore and I was thinking about walking away from everything, I realized you were holding on to me when I wasn't sure if I was going to hold on to you. Lesson number three. Don't just look around, look ahead. Warren Wiersbe says, the ultimate test of life is death. The ultimate test of life is death. I want you to notice how Asaph now focuses on his life after death. In verse 24, 25, and 26. He says, verse 24, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you'll take me into glory. Verse 25. I, I, I almost get a little tickled when I read verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. If I were God, I would be saying, that's not what you said on the way to church. You know, that, you wasn't feeling that way when you came in the door. Earth has nothing I desire, God, except you. No, 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 no. That's not what you were saying. But you see, that's the power of perspective. How God can change your heart and change your mind in worship. Look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In those three verses, Asaph is now focused on his life after this life. Don't just look around you. Look ahead. And then number four. Your test today could be your testimony tomorrow. Your test today could be your testimony tomorrow. Verse 28. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And look at the last sentence. I will tell of all your deeds. I will tell of all your deeds. This test that I've been through, is just going to be part of my testimony. I'll tell of all your deeds. I'm going to tell others of how I had a crisis of faith. And how in the midst of worship, you changed my perspective. I'm going to tell them how now I, I'm trusting in you again and I'm serving you again. And it's not because of anything in me. It was because of what you did for me. When you changed my heart and you changed my mind and you changed my perspective. My test is going to be my testimony. I think the old hymn writer had it best when she wrote, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. Those watching online, those here in the sanctuary, may I say to you with the heart of a pastor, if you have a crisis of faith right now, if you wonder why God has allowed things to happen in your life and the ungodly seem to have no struggles. I just want to say to you, great men of God in the Bible have struggled with that too. 
And if you'll let him, if you'll keep turning to God, he'll change your heart. He'll change your perspective. He'll change your life. And if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, I would like to say to you, eternity is coming. You may have all that this life has to offer. You may have everything and every need is met and everything is good, but there is a life after this life. And you're not taking any of it with you. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, today would be your day to say, Lord Jesus, I need more than just what I have in my bank account. I need a relationship with you. If you believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you can by faith say, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want more than what this life can offer me. I want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can do that right now, right where you are. Father, I thank you for the word today that has been so timely, perhaps for so many. Grateful for the people in the Bible who are so honest and transparent because we've lived their story too. Grateful that they have shown us that there is still victory in you. And I pray that today that someone might leave this place or as they're at their house, I pray that today that they would have a different perspective because of this time looking in your word. May you change their heart. May you change their lives. And may Jesus be honored and glorified. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.